You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Hertz here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And we are back with our second week discussing Abia Mukherjee's The Shadows of Men, chapters 19 to 43. Herds is in the hot seat Uh-oh. in this 1923 Indian thriller. That's that's a lot of words. There's, there's a lot of characters in this book too. I'm, enjoy- I'm really enjoying my time jumping back and forth from city to city no less yeah we made it we made it in a full two-thirds of this book before we went back to malabar hill i can't believe we made it to (laughs) bombay once more you told me we were getting away from bombay you said we can't have three novels set in the same city in a row and then we go straight back to not just the same city but the same hill exactly rubbish flex but yeah so what happens in this stretch of the novel is our good friends sam and seren Mm. are still trying to figure out who really killed the prize ass mukherjee (laughs) no relation to the author no of course and that means that seren is on the run finds himself in a daring train escape it's ridiculous the man Goes through all of the effort. He plays all the right moves. He's the most surreptitious criminal man you could ever expect to corner Gal Muhammad on the train and beat some truth out of him. And then he jumps off the train. Seren does not get what he wants at all. He goes through all this pain and violence and nearly getting murdered by the police that he's, you know, supposed to be tied with. Yeah. And then he just leaps off the train while it's running and ends up in even more pain. It's kind of fantastic. It's great great it's just so good seeing a character go to that much effort and failing and it being more compelling on account of well that's exactly it right it's gonna be compelling failure and i think that uh we really hit it out of the out of the park with this one yeah we then basically get into the world of espionage oh goodness the character colonel colonel dawson who had been mysteriously missing in the first part of the book reappears drowned in smoke in an opium den from sam's past which was hilarious the first one he ever went to yeah it's ridiculous. There's this really great line where Colonel Dawson is basically like, I probably knew you were going to be an opium addict before even you did. Yeah, that's <laughs> And it's ridiculous. like, did they set him up? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Probably. Possibly. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. It's this weird step between being pushed back by active action and kind of struggling against incompetency. And I really yes. like the particular point at which Abia has landed these characters. <laughs> I think it really suits their particular style of problem solving really well, where they will often just do the wrong thing to do the right thing, as we mentioned last week. Yeah. And th- it, it draws out so many compelling moments really naturally from them. To, to kind of talk about the broader cast just for a moment, I think that your point about incompetency is really well placed because the, the other characters in the story are kind of marked by their competency. Like everybody else, when our protagonist asks for help, they give it, they give everything they could possibly need. And then the protagonist come back to the next day asking for more and they say yes. And uh, the the moment I'm thinking of is when uh, Miss Biss Grant, they ask her, well, we're in Bombay, we have no money. Can you send us some or can you find someone in Bombay who can give us some? Mm. And she says, absolutely. But then, of course, that's when the police raid happens. Yes. So they can't get to Miss Grant's help. So it's it's never the fault of the characters around our protagonists for failing to help them. It's because of other characters' machinations getting in the way, which I think is really cool. The other thing that's really great about it is that we have characters like Colonel Dawson, who his yeah. role in the story at this point is that he's kind of been cut out of the spy network. He thinks yes. that Gul Muhammad was being trailed into Calcutta, and that's why he wants Sam to go on the like counter-espionage to follow him back to Bombay. Yeah. And normally, Colonel Dawson would be the kind of person who would be in on this information, but he's not for some reason, which not only like that's raises great. the intrigue in the crime fiction sense, but mm. it still shows that a character who has been cut out by the rest of their team is able to give more yep. help than Sam and Seren can give themselves. Yeah, I really like Colonel Dawson for what little we've actually seen of him. Uh, I really like that angle that 
the reason why he's helping out you know, Sam and Siren is because he's been personally slighted almost yeah. by the people around him. Because that's the feeling that we get from Siren. Like he's been betrayed by the police force and Sam is not trusted to be as part of the case and Colonel Dorse is not trusted as part of the spy network. Like all three of these characters are, are combined together in their in their power, uh, their crime fighting power, by all being cut out of the of the system. And then uh, that trail of espionage results in them, as Herds alluded to earlier, mm. going to Bombay well, on a flight to beat well, this Dal is Muhammad the thing. there. They they enlist the assistance of uh, Miss Grant, who is probably my favorite character in the book. She's mm-hmm. absolutely loaded with money. <laughs> she has a fast car. She clearly loves Sam Windham, but neither of them will admit it. Yes. Uh, and she she races them and, and Siren in the back seat in the in the trunk, I believe, uh, all the way to a military airbase. Yes. Where <laughs> the two of them are dressed up as post officers mm-hmm. to be shipped to Bombay. There's this really great line where they go through the entire cover story for Siren when he's in Bombay, and Sam's like, "What's my cover story?" And he's like, "You haven't committed a crime. You, don't you need play one. yourself." <laughs> <laughs> no, I I really love especially getting to see that dynamic, the British versus Indian yeah. dynamic through uh, Siren's eyes in particular. He he is Indian by color and by name, but f- for society's, you know, machinations purposes, he is pretty much a, a British. He's on that side of the table, right? We, we all know how the separation of the British and the Indian yeah. powers kind of went, so the future may not be so bright for Siren, but for now, it's it's interesting watching this novel as he, mm. he almost like, like rediscovers you know, what it's like to to be an Indian in this city, right? Yeah, I mean, if you were reading along with us when we covered The Dying Day, or if you've read the Malabar House series by Vasim Khan, one yeah. of the characters that you'll meet right up front in that is Roshan Seth, who is at Malabar House, the kind of dregs of the Indian police force, yes, yes. because he cozied up too much to the British, in the same way Sam could never go the other way, yeah. even though Sam, you know... Speaks willingness to like sleep at a Bengali hostel. Yep. He doesn't because it'll bring too much attention. So that relationship can never go the other way. Yeah, it's kind of a, a weird dialogue to have, I guess, where, where Sam is not like he, he will never truly understand the Indian way of life because mm. his job and the responsibilities that he has prevent him from doing that. He, in a lot of respects, is maybe the best of his time. Hopefully. Uh, and it's so weird, you know, seeing him as a modern reader and being like, oh, that is that is not, not to my palate. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's something so authentic about the way that Abir has portrayed it. He hasn't, as I mentioned earlier, like pulled any punches on it. He's not afraid for his protagonists to seem like terrible people by modern standards because mm-hmm. to the characters in the novel, they are being judged by the standards of their time. But it's still written in intelligent enough of a fashion that you can understand that by reading it rather than some more classic crime fiction where you read it and go like, really, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle? You said, what about the structure of his feet? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I mean, this is always the struggle of writing historical fiction where you you have to portray characters who are steeped in the culture. Mm. And I think it is it is definitely uh, the, the modern tact to have your protagonist be just a little bit more progressive than everyone else yeah. so that we don't, you know, immediately shy away from it. Mm. Um, but you you really do have to, you know, get your get your whole body immersed in the racism because that's a huge part of it. Yeah. Especially in an Indian novel tackling the the difference between religion and race and everything. Yeah. I think the other flip side to that, which I am I'm torn on discussing because oh. us two dudes in a room definitely can't have a lot to say here. <laughs> oh no, yeah. The the thing I did I notice I in the Shadows this. in Men is that we have what, five women in the whole book to yeah. twenty men. Yeah. And 
they're all written with agency. None of them are... None of them are fools. Yeah, none of them are incapable of anything. But at the same time, they do feel kind of like tropey. We have like the pretty musician, the hot rich one who's into cars. Yeah, I I definitely feel like, even though I really enjoy all of their characters, two of them, admittedly, they are friends in the novel. Yeah. Miss Collar, I believe, who's a a Parsi, introduced in the most recent chapter we've read in 43, and Miss Grant, they both kind of serve the same function of just giving money and maybe like a political in to the the main characters. So, yeah, I don't know. I I still like them. I like that they're total girl bosses, Mm. you know, in terms of their personality, but- I don't really have a value judgment to make about it because like it definitely does lend the book a blokey feel. It does. But that's really going to be down to your personal taste because I think they are well-written. It's just something that might be off to you if you read a book and there are just so few women in it. I mean, that comes back to what I was saying about historical fiction, of course, where you, you want to write women characters who- have agency and matter to the story, but I still live in hope that maybe one of the lady characters will whip out a Derringer at the end of the novel, though. But other than that, I think that this particular blend of historical fiction as a thriller, because we've typically covered historical mystery fiction. That's, sure, that's sure. our mainstay. This is our I mean, first, we typically like, cover mystery fiction. Well, full yeah. Full stop, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that this has done a really good job of integrating the things that I like about both. I definitely am appreciating as we go through the novel, the raising of the stakes. Yes. Abia definitely takes advantage of the multi-city scale story that he's working with here to produce something that's very entertaining in that regard. Anyhow, I think we should uh, put a pause on this here. We'll be back to discuss more of the the mystery, the crime, and perhaps whodunit towards the end of the show. So stick around for that. see how we go. (laughs) We are discussing Abir Mukherjee's The Shadows of Men, chapters 19 to 43 on your Murder Mystery World Tour. This is 2SER 107.3. Stick around. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. We're talking Abir Mukherjee's The Shadows of Men, and we are joined by the man himself. If you've made it this far in and are somehow still unfamiliar with Sam Wyndham and Seren Banerjee, The Shadows of Men is their fifth outing, and Abir co-host, the Red Hot Chili Writers, was Vaseem Khan and his mother. Abir, welcome to the show. Yeah, well, it's it's wonderful to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. As I, as I was saying, you know, I was slightly upset that you had Vaseem Khan on first, um, but you've you've both explained to me that he was the warm up act, and I'm I'm happy with that. <laughs> well, let's let's also I mean, be clear: the uh, money you slipped under the table to us to make sure that you know he tested the waters, so we didn't make too much of a fool of you, was a respectable deal for yourself. I think it's true. It's win win. Let's let's put it that way. Win win. <laughs> I think it's all worked out pretty well. Now, Abia, the, the Shadows of Men gets off to a very self explanatory start. Sam meets with Udam the Lion Saint to blackmail him into doing less crime. Is writing crime fiction easier the looser your canons are? <laughs> um, I would hope so. I think so. You know what? The, the problem is, boys, I'm I come I'm coming from a background where I'm very lazy, right? So laziness <laughs> is, is my terrible. starting point. Which is why firstly I write historical crime fiction, because you know, the, the idea of staying up to date with, you know, technology, science. And even police regulations, you know, and morality um, are slightly are slightly too far. But I mean, they don't interest me. I'm much more interested in in things like um, the, the politic the politics of a situation and and creating a story around that. So for me, I don't like the rules. 
as you probably guess when you read my books. Well, we did notice. Well, yeah, I guess the thing that I wanted to get into off the back of that is that when we spoke with uh, Vasim, we chatted a little bit about the state of corruption in India's law enforcement, and Sam and Seren clearly sit on the less ethical side of that line, and we do see consequences of that at various points through the novel, but is it still important for you to be critical of them or is them being on the other side of that line just part of the fun? Well, you've got to, you've got to think back to when I'm writing. You, we're talking about the 20s and the, and the 30s and you've got to remember at that time there was no such thing as justice for Indians. Well, not really. I mean, there was probably justice in small matters amongst Indians, but if there was on the larger scale the, the idea that uh, a brown man could be tried to the same standard as a, and be held to the same standard as a white man was anathema. And so, you know, Surin and Sam not towing the line is a reflection of the culture, but it's also a reflection of the fact that they're living in a society where there is no, no objective justice, especially if you're Indian. Um, so if you look at all of my books, uh, <laughs> justice isn't often done. It's, you know, we get to the truth. But truth and justice, as I think, I think Sam is told in book two by somebody, are two very different things. Yeah, I mean, the novel also on that front kind of rides this line between like a police procedural and obviously the procedure perhaps isn't quite up to date. Uh, but then the other side isn't like all out action spy thriller. And then there's heroes like, you know, James Bond, Jack Ryan, with which have a very strong influence from Imperial Nations that sponsor them. But you subvert that in a way by having Seren take most of the thriller scenes. Is it kind of possible to separate the spy character from that imperialism? Why did Seren still have to be part of the British system? I think he had to be part. You've got to remember, these guys are on a journey. This this is a series that I'm hoping to take from 1919 all the way up to 1947, uh, which is 38 years. And I should say, when I, when I started doing this, I didn't realise it was 38 years. And <laughs> I'm, I'm from Glasgow and we have the, the worst life expectancy in Europe. So chances oh, uh, no. of me getting there are limited. Yeah, you've, you've lined up the ghost rider to take in when you drop dead, I assume. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to have to bribe. That seems much more healthy than me. He'll have to do it. Um, <laughs> oh no. These these characters are on a journey and and they will develop over time and I think what you see in Surin is you're seeing the development of Indian attitudes. So when he starts off he's very much the starstruck junior officer and here comes Sam this great ex-Scotland Yard detective whom he looks up to and then you know as the years go on and he realises Sam's not all that in fact you know in many ways Sam has an opium addiction he you know Sam will jump in where angels fear to tread whereas Surin is actually the clever one Watson was always the real hero I'll say it I'll say it again well that's the thing right He's getting clever and clever. He's becoming the real protagonist. Is that is that something you kind of planned from the start or is that just going to happen? I didn't plan it from the start. I knew there would be a balancing of the relationships. Um, I didn't expect it to be this quick. Part of it is, is a reflection of the times when I'm writing. You know, by the time I was writing books four and five, we were into the, the territory of Black Lives Matter. And all the reasons that I started writing, which were to tell this other history that we don't talk about in this country, that seemed to be resonating. So it seemed like yeah. the whole world was moving. You know, when I was writing, it felt like Surin had to play a stronger role and he had to come into himself quicker. So, yeah, it wasn't planned this early, but it was something that was going to happen. 
I didn't know exactly when, preferably before I die, before Vasim has to take over. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, this early I didn't expect. But I think it's right. I think it reflects the times that we're living in as much as anything, which yeah. is odd given that it's set in the 20s. Well, it's it's funny we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and all that because as Calcutta burns, the central conflict in the novel revolves around the two largest religious groups in the city, the Hindus and the Muslims. There's a real pent-up rage that gets lit between them, right? Now, yourself, you're talking about this now, and many other authors have spoken about how reading fiction has given us an escape from the, the social turmoil of the past few years. But was there a form of catharsis for you in getting to light a whole city on fire? It wasn't. I, I write about whatever is bugging me. So, you know, that, that's my rationale for writing. It, it, well, firstly, for the last 10 years or five years, it's been the rise of populism. So whether it's America with Trump, whether it's Europe, whether it's Brexit here, whether it's India, you know, you're seeing it in India with the rise of Hindu nationalism. We have a, a Hindu right-wing government, which to me seems to be trampling over the, the sacred pillars of Indian democracy, of, of secularism. And so this book really started off as my riposte to that so it, it was it was catharsis but it was it was it was more therapy for what was happening now i write because you know i need therapy and i'm glaswegian and i'm too cheap to pay for it so um <laughs> i just get it on the page yeah well i mean another thing that i i felt you were pushing back on is around the release of book four death in the east you said the novel was your homage to christie and other writers that have inspired you and despite being a mystery focused show i chose to feature the shadows of men because it almost felt like you were pushing back against the organizational structure of a Christie novel, blowing the scale and the drama wide open again. And I thought that was really fun and interesting. You picked up on something very important there, Felix. I think um, I've written four or five books now. I'm still learning and I'm still trying different things. Book four, did it was it started off as my homage to Christie. I wanted to, to write a locked room mystery in her style. Uh, I think many authors do. <laughs> it just takes us a long time to come up with an idea that hasn't been done before. Um, but each book has to be, you know, I feel I have to do something different in each book. In the previous episode, you mentioned Smoke and Ashes, which is the third book in the series. And for me, the objective there was to write a thriller. I think for the first time I was writing a thriller and I was pretty happy with the way it turned out. Book four is much more complex than book three. So I think Death in the East is a much more complex book. Um, I think it's a better book, but I'm less happy with it. Interesting. I don't yeah. think, mm. yeah, I don't think, uh, you know, given I'd, I'd set myself a, a standard that I wanted to get to and I, I didn't reach it, but it's still, you know, it's a much more complicated book. And similarly with number five, The Shadows of Men, you know, it's the first time we're seeing half of the action from Surin's point of view. Yeah. You know, I grew up, um, Tartan Noir. And if you look back, that's very different to what was coming out of England at that time or or, or even or, or before. It was, it's very different to what was coming out of America. It was much more driven by social issues. Yeah, you'd, li you'd like find out what happened in the crime at the start and then it was about the people who had done it or who were around it rather than the crime itself. Absolutely. And I think I think the, the great example of that is is one of the first of the Tartan Noir books, which was Laid Law by uh, William McIlvany, where you find out who's done it on page two. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the book is really just a love song to Glasgow. Things that interest me are political issues and social issues. And the form that the book takes 
will vary depending on what's the best format to tackle that. As you say, the fourth book, Death in the East, was a homage to Christie, but it dealt with, to me, it dealt with Brexit and it dealt with the issues around immigration and integration. And that's why half of it is set in in England in 1905 um, during the Jewish immigration, because it's the same issues that we're facing today. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that you mentioned earlier in the interview was that you don't like to write about the modern day because it's difficult to keep up with that. But at the same time, history repeating itself makes it easy for you to practically do it anyway while under the the veil of historical fiction. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I get laziness plus current affairs. It's not bad. So You've spotted it. (laughs) I must say, Felix, you've got my number. You've got me banked to rights. Well, that's good. I I think that is my job, so I'm glad I'm doing it. (laughs) He's a bit of a cruel host, isn't he? He is. I was listening to the first episode when I wasn't even on. Gosh, I was in tears. (laughs) It's terrible. Thanks to Abir joining us here on Death of the Reader. If you want to hear the rest of that discussion, it'll be up in full, and there is a bunch of it on the podcast after our last episode on The Shadows of Men, so make sure you get subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing The Shadows of Men by Abir Mukherjee right there, and we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing Abir Mukherjee's The Shadows of Man, chapters 19 to 43. Herds is the one doing the solutions this time around. Flex, can I ask for a small mercy? No. No, I'm going to ask well, it. Anyway. ask anyway, can but I'm we, not going to give it. Can we hold off on the whodunit until later on in the episode? Because that's, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm having trouble here. <laughs> There's so many little mysteries and things in this yeah. story. And I know you're going to put some points on some exciting stuff, but I'll be entirely honest. The whodunit is is well hidden. Yeah. Well, let, let me put it this way for those of you who haven't been reading <laughs> along with us, yeah. uh, which you, we should, by the way, if you want to read along with us here on the show, it's one Effort. of the best ways. And we love hearing from those of you who do in our inbox at Flex mm-hmm. and Herds on social media, whatever platform you choose to use, except TikTok. We're not there yet. Not yet. One not day. Yet. One day. <laughs> <laughs> and we love hearing from you. So by all means, drop things in. But the thing that should be obvious if you've been reading along is that unless Gal Muhammad is lying that he didn't murder yes. Prashant Mukherjee, it couldn't have been anyone who was introduced in part one of the story, mm-hmm. which is against our normal rules of fair play. And and I, I'm going to call you out on that, of course. Yeah. I mean, you've already kind of called yourself out mm-hmm. for not giving me a fair play situation here. That said, I, I think I can work around it. Yeah. Um, that, so here, here's the, here's well, the deal, right? Let's, we, let's be clear. We've cornered Gal Muhammad in the back of a taxi, which was not their original plan, which, which I is, thought was, which is stupid. Fantastic. The whole, no, the whole setup for the scene is like, we got to steal a taxi and they wait in the taxi line where Gal Muhammad is getting off the train where he won't have any guards and we'll just follow whoever happens to pick him up. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Pick him up yourself. <laughs> there is, there is this Stop great scene after they've interrogated Gal <laughs> Muhammad where they return the taxi and the guy yes. at the taxi stand is like, what do I do? Yeah, like, he didn't like know it was gone. He's like, well, I guess I just won't say Anything. Do I punish the horse after it's returned and close the gate mm. behind itself? Exactly, exactly. Uh, the three things I want you to pin down for me is okay. your, your guess at the culprit, mm. your guess at who tapped the phone lines and if they yes. are different, and third to what the plot is here. It's obvious this is a political killing. I just want to know what yeah. you think okay, let me, was the lead let me up start to with it the happening. Phone lines. What is probably happening there is it's the major yeah. who's doing the tapping because the policemen are the ones that 
show up, the like official policeman. I'm going to say that he's tapping uh, not just the colonel's line, but also uh, Annie's line, oh, Annie yeah. Grant's. Well, mostly the because, fun thing about that. I mean, do you I'm want to sure, talk about this? Yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah, fun yeah. thing about that is that when Saran first arrives so at Annie's stupid. house, so dumb. Saran says, "Please call Sam, and whatever you do, get him over here by like any other excuse, because I don't want them to tap the phone lines and find out that I'm here." Yep. And then the next phone call that gets made to Annie's house is Sam going, "Oh yeah, hi Annie. So we're in Bombay. We're undercover. As yeah, we're post undercover as the workers. post office. We're staying here at this address." <laughs> <laughs> if a sniper wanted to get us, they could sit in these bushes. Yeah, I did notice. Well, the, the funny thing is, I think they make that phone call to Annie immediately after having one to the colonel, which is why yeah. I was thinking about it at the time, because to the colonel, they're all in code and secretive. And then yeah. immediately afterwards, like, well, who would think to, you know, tap the phone line of our rich English friend? No one would. That's crazy. They wouldn't possibly know, mm-hmm. you know, that that's where we came from. That I'm sure her car yeah, didn't shop at the airbase. Like <laughs> There's no Come other on, way guys. she could possibly be associated yeah, look, with this. I'll, I'll be very surprised if uh, if it's not the major. The other thing that's interesting is that Sam and Saran both seem pretty convinced that Gul Muhammad didn't do it. His confession. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, look, e- even if this is a thriller and not a murder mystery novel, like there's a there's a rule of thumb in storytelling. Yeah. If if the characters work towards a goal and they reach the goal and they're given the reward for the goal, it's probably like you don't look a gift horse in the mouth in that situation. They have worked so hard to catch Gal Muhammad. They've failed multiple times. They finally got to him and he says, yeah. I didn't do it. I believe him. Mm-hmm. I think that it would be disingenuous to to have it be otherwise at this point in the story. Yeah, but like so. who else do you pin it on? Like Cyrus Irani, who is Shush you. only you know just been, named? I, you know I've had him in my thoughts. Yes, I, I believe that he is actually the killer. Okay. So but here's, here's the thing. What's, what's he doing? He's a he's a tough big guy. You you have yourself have said several times you this cannot accuse the thug. This is a thriller flex. Okay. So here's the thing. I also don't think that Cyrus is who he says he is. Interesting. I'm not sure who else he could be, but we know from Cola that even though he's supposedly a Parsi, it's supposed to be a Parsi name. Well, um, curiously, Bombay. speaking of Cola, one of the things that we have with her is that Sam and Saran both assume that she is a man. Uh, do you true. think we're playing other gender games with the other I Parsi know. in the story? Oh, you think so? Well, no, I mean, you did pin it on not. Aisha last week. I think week. that's rubbish. I mean, oh, don't you put that thought in my head. I hadn't considered it. I don't think so. And I think that to try and consider it now would really just completely ruin my brain. Um, I, I, I will say, I think that uh, Cola is above board based on the way that she's been handling uh, the, the boys so far. She's been nothing but helpful. I think that Cyrus did it. I want to say it was to cause religious riots, but beyond that, I'm kind of stuck. Well, yeah, I mean, so, that's the third point is the, the plot. What is. is generally going on here? You think that someone's trying to cause religious riots. What do yeah. they stand to gain? I want to say that they're trying to start the religious riots to like kick the British out of the city seems like it's, you know, it's played out. It's been done before. It's also a bit optimistic for, a, you know, a one-off of many incidents of I, riot. I wonder if they're trying to like... Get get Gandhi like freed from prison or something. I wonder if that's where well, this is going to end up. Like, we want the religious riots to happen so we can like bring Gandhi back. I'm going to say that Cyrus, who is not really Cyrus because it's a fake, that's an that's an alias. Yeah, uh, is working for Prio to 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 kill his dad because they want to incite riots to get Gandhi free from prison. That's my that's my big plot theory. It, that's where I am. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it's. It's there's not a, very cohesive, th- th- but that's where my brain's at. There's right a couple now, of yeah. interesting things we can we can draw from on sure, that. For example, for uh, Kamala mentions at the service for her husband mm. that 
he was just a scholar who looked yes. at the religious yes. texts and enjoyed drawing meaning from them. He really wasn't very important. There's definitely an interesting question about like what those characters stand to gain there. Especially question. because we're kind of crossing religious lines here, you know. If I have to like pick a side, I guess I'd say that Cyrus is like working working for the Hindus. <laughs> it's, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Like, it's weird. Like yeah. no matter how you run it, it's a it's a weird game yeah. to play. I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure of the specifics of this situation. I'm I'm definitely on this like it's a it's a religious yeah. motivation. And it's like get Ghani out of prison. Last I'm there. Do you do you think that it's the same people as Taggart? Last week you said that. It, oh yeah. Um. It probably a, probably that's great, was. That's a great question. I had considered that between last week and this week. That's a suggestion that maybe know? they weren't even off to Taggart. Maybe they were off to Sam and Saran, and Taggart just happened Look, to be closer to the end of the driveway. I'm gonna say, you know, I'm gonna say because it's fun and screw it. I might as well not. Maybe someone I just was say, just playing cricket I, with something I, that just happened to be a bomb. Yeah, it sounds like fun. And then they like realized, oh crap, that went over the fence. We should drive away, and then it just you know, happened to explode. Just for fun, just for fun, because I feel like if I just say they're the same person, that's really boring. I'm going to say that it was Singh and they were trying to beat up Sam and possibly Saren for standing him up. All right. Because nice. he doesn't nice. he doesn't take nicely to being stood up on his dates with his I love it. police friends. Well, there you go. Herds. <laughs> if we were to rank the difficulty. Oh, no. Yeah. If we were to rank the difficulty of the novels that we cover on this show, I think we can comfortably pin this as the like highest difficulty novel I Great. think we've covered. Zero points. <laughs> well, one point. Well, we'll have to find out. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to that point next week on the show. We are going to be covering chapters 44 to the end of The Shadows of Men by Abia Mukherjee. And I hope that you have as much fun with this ending as it deserves hurts. What does that mean? Exactly oh, what I said. No, I'm so worried. Here come the spacemen. It's going to happen. Here come the aliens. There was an alien inside Mukherjee the whole time. That's why they had to burn him. Oh, no. Anyhow, this is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. I suppose you're a thriller world tour for this particular yeah, instance. Yeah, thriller world tour. It's a I, world of thrills. That's right. And I, chills. <laughs> we will see you back here next week on 2SER 107.3 with the end of Shadows of Men. Enjoy yourself until then. This is Death of the Reader.